Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms. We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 11. If you are using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find Psalm 11 on page 452. Page 452. Psalm 11. This is the very Word of God. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let Him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be their portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold His face. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us go to Him and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, this is Your Word, living and active. By it we have been born again to a living hope. And by it now You work to renew our hearts and transform our lives that we might grow up in our salvation. Father, we ask that You would remember Your promise even now, that Your Word not return void, but that it might accomplish its purpose among us here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Run! That was the singular instruction that my friend gave me as he ran past me on his way to his grandmother's lake house. His grandmother had recently purchased a piece of property that was adjacent to her lake house, and she had hired her grandson and his friend, that was me, to to clear it of some underbrush and to knock down an old building that, that stood upon it that was long past the point of... Repair, And so we were out there joyfully swinging our axes and our, and our sledgehammers when all of a sudden my friend is tearing past me down the hill towards the house yelling at me to, to follow him with speed. You see, it seems that he, as he was knocking down this uh, structure, had put his sledgehammer through the wall only to discover that it contained a rather large hornet's nest. It took me a minute or two to figure out what was going on, but after the pain of the first sting, everything sort of came into focus, and I began to follow my friend. But it was much too late. By the time we reached the relative safety of the screen porch, we had both been stung more than 30 times. And even when we were on the porch, they continued to be in our clothes and continued to, to sting us. And it was in a situation like that, you know, when, when you're, you're surrounded by hornets, the only thing you can do is run. It's really your only option. There's no way to stand your ground. There's no way to, to put up a fight. Your only option is to turn tail and run. I suspect most of you have been in a situation like that at least once or twice in your life. 
You've been in a situation where you, you knew it was impossible. You knew there was, there was no way to stand your ground. You knew that your only real option was to run for cover. Well, that is exactly the kind of situation that David found himself in when he composed this psalm. Look with me again at the first or the second part of verse 1. Look what, look what the people are saying to David. They are telling him to run. They are telling him to flee like a bird to the mountain. This is, this is what people are saying to him. They're saying, you have no hope. You have no uh, refuge. There's no way that you're going to stand your ground. Your only hope is to run to the mountains, to fly like a bird and take cover amongst the rocks. Now, there's some debate as to who exactly is saying this to David. It's possible that it is David's friends. You know, David's friends see the reality of his situation, and they are, they are telling him that he better run, that he better get out of here, that there is no hope. We, we know a situation <coughs> where Paul's friends said the same thing to him. They told him that he needed to run, that he needed to, to stay away. And, of course, Paul didn't listen, but his friends were concerned for his well-being. And so they told him to run. Of course, it's possible that it's also David's enemies who are speaking to him. It could be that David's enemies are, are taunting him and telling him that there's, there's no way that you can stay here. Your only hope is to get out. Your only hope is to, is to run away like a little bird. And of course, it's possible that it's even David himself who is, who is speaking to his own soul. We know that he does this in, in other places in the Psalms. David could be speaking to himself and saying, Soul, why are you saying to me that I need to run? Why are you telling me that I need to fly like a bird to the mountain? It's hard to know exactly who is speaking to David, whom he is responding to, but it is clear that David is in trouble It is clear that he is in what we would call an impossible situation. It's clear that that those around him see no way for him to stand his ground. From their perspective, notice what they say in verse 3, from their perspective, the foundations are destroyed. And there's nothing left for the righteous to do. The only thing left to do is to flee to the mountains. I think that's profound. It's not just that David is is experiencing uh, temporary difficulties. It's not just that that some bad things have have happened or that that bad people are out to to get him, but rather the very foundations upon which he stands are crumbling and falling into the sea. Think about what that would mean for a moment. Reflect on what the, the foundations are from your perspective. What are the foundations that allow you to stand firm when the trials come. Of course, they're, they're different for, for each of us. They, they, they vary, but there are some common denominators. There are, there are some common foundations that we all look to, that we all take refuge in as we, as we face life in this difficult world. For many of us, our family is a refuge. No matter what else is going on, we, we know that our family will stand with us. We know that our family will, will back us. We know that we will always have a place to, to retreat to if everything else fails. Our, our family is a foundation upon which we stand. For some, that's not true. For, for some, their family experience was not good, but they take refuge in their friends. For them, it is the, the friendships that they have had throughout their life. Those, those friends are a refuge. They know that, that those friends are their band of brothers. Those friends will stand with them. That when the bad things come, they will be their wall of protection. 
For others, it is their confidence that they have and just the freedoms we have here in the United States, the freedoms that we experience in, in the West. We, we know that while there are bad people out there and while they do bad things, overall, the system is our friend. Overall, the, the system will protect us. If one person takes advantage of us, the, those who have power will call them to justice. And so we think that, that there's, there's refuge in having the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States. These are our foundations. These are our sure-footed places where we can stand as we pass through trial. But think what it would mean for those foundations to be destroyed. Think what it would mean for those foundations to, to crumble into the sea. Think for a moment that your, your family forsakes you. They, they disown you. They, they, they cut you off. Maybe because you're a Christian. Maybe just for some other reason. But your, your family turns their back on you. And all of a sudden, you, you wonder, what am I supposed to do? These were the people who were to stand with me through, through thick and thin, through better or through worse. And, and now they have abandoned me. Now they have deserted me. Or maybe it is your your friendships, those who you, you thought were your, your closest uh, brothers in arms have turned their back on you. They have betrayed you. Maybe it was just in, in your relationship, or maybe it was in a situation at, at work, but, but in one way or another, they have thrown you under the bus. They have taken advantage of you. They have deserted you. And now you wonder, what am I supposed to do if I can't even trust my friends? Or maybe you've begun to realize that those freedoms that you so cherish, that the, those powers that around you aren't always going to protect you. More and more in recent years, we have seen the willingness of, of those who we assume are there to protect us. We have, we have seen their willingness to use that power to actually persecute us, to, to take advantage of us. And we begin to wonder, what are we going to do when the foundations are destroyed? What are we going to do when the, the place that we would run to, the place that we would seek refuge, the, the, the place that, that we think is our stronghold, what are we to do when that place becomes for us not a place of, of security, but a place of, of danger? A place of pain instead of a place of solace. That's the question that, that, that David is facing. It's what he means when he talks about arrows being shot in the dark. We use that phrase sometimes today to, to think about someone who shoots into the dark as if they don't know what they're aiming at. That's not what David means. This is not an arrow shot at random, but rather this is an arrow shot out of the dark. This is, this is someone shooting from a place where you can't see them, where you don't expect it. You, you, you expect nothing dangerous to come, and all of a sudden arrows are, are flying. It's an unexpected danger. This is what David is Experiencing those who he thought were his friends, those who he thought of his family, those who, who he thought as his sure refuge have become a threat. The foundations are destroyed. What is the righteous one to do? That's the, that's the question. That's the question that's before us this morning. It's the, it's the question this psalm forces us to, to wrestle with. What do we do? When the foundations are destroyed, what do we do when the very places that we would look to for help, when the very places that we would look to for solace become places of threat? 
David gives us his answer in this psalm. And, and what I want you to see first is sort of the executive summary. <laughs> he, he, he starts off right at the very beginning with, with his summary conclusion. He, he says it right there in verse 1. Notice how David begins. He says, Why would you say these things to me? Because in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me then that I must flee to the mountains? You you notice that. David isn't voicing these concerns. He isn't asking what should the righteous do. He is saying to the one who is questioning him, how can you ask such a thing? Such a question doesn't make sense. Because in the Lord I take refuge. And if in the Lord I take refuge, then it's not true that the foundations are destroyed. It may look that way. It may appear that way. But it's not true because those things were never my true foundation. That's what David is saying. He is is turning the question back on his questioner. He's saying, how can you say such a thing? Now, he's not denying the reality of a situation. He's not denying that there are enemies out there. He's not denying that there are real threats. But he's saying, listen, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my stronghold. How can you tell me to flee? This is not irrational optimism, but this is faith in his Lord. And it's a confidence that we must share. Because there will be those times when it seems to us that the foundations are crumbling. It will seem to us that there is no place left to stand. It seems to us that that the places of refuge have become places of, of danger. And we will wonder, what are we to do? And with David, we must be willing to say, in the Lord I take refuge. He is my stronghold. He is my shield. He is my protection. As he says in Psalm 46, if He is our refuge, if He is our help, then we can stand even though the mountains give way and crumble into the sea. But David doesn't just leave us with a bare statement. He, he begins to unpack it for us in the, the second half of the psalm. And, and we see it there as it, as it moves on. David is going to, to show us three things about the Lord. Why is taking refuge in the Lord an answer? Well, there are three reasons that David gives us in this psalm. Three reasons why, why the Lord is his living hope. And the first thing that we see is that David is confident, that David has hope because he knows who the Lord is. We see this in verse 4. Look again at, at what David writes. He says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Think about the, the first part of that. What does it mean to say that the the Lord is in His holy temple? Well, we'll think about the significance of the temple. What is the the temple? The the temple was the symbol of God's presence among His people. It was at the very center of the camp. And it it, it represented that God was Emmanuel. God was with them. That that these were His people. that, That He was in their midst. And to say that the Lord is in His temple is to say that the Lord is Emmanuel. The Lord is imminent. He is among them. He is with them. 
They do not stand alone. I think of the prophet Elisha speaking to his his servant as they look over the, the walls of the city at the Assyrian army that surrounds them. And Elisha says, why do you fear? Do you not know that those who are with us are more than those who are with them? And of course, his servant's a bit confused. (laughs) And so he prays, Lord, open his eyes. As he opens his eyes, he begins to see that the Lord of hosts, the Lord who commands an angel army, stands with his people. The Lord is present. But of course, the fact that He is the Lord of hosts matters. It's not just that He is with them, but that He is with them in power. And that's the second part of what David says here. Notice, he says, the Lord's throne is in heaven. So the Lord who is among them is a Lord who is enthroned in the heavenly places. A Lord who rules sovereignly over His creation. The Lord who is with His people is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord of lords and the the King of, of kings. The God who is ultimately transcendent. Working all things according to the counsel of His will. This is what David knows. That the Lord God Almighty Maker of heaven and earth is with His people. You see how important that is? Do you you see how important it is for David to know both of these truths? You see, it it is good for God to be with us. But that is not an ultimate comfort if He is not the Lord God Almighty. If He is only with us, but He's not able to to help us, then His being with us might provide some comfort, but it is certainly not an ultimate comfort. Comfort. On the other hand, if He is the Lord God Almighty, but He is not with us, then His, His power brings no true peace. It is the combination of the two. It is the Lord God Almighty who is with us. It's how we begin our worship service each and every Sunday. People of God, your help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. The God who called into existence all that exists. The one who who spoke all of the universe into existence by the mere word of His power. This is the God who is our help. This is the God who is among us. His arm is not short. His resources are not limited. He is the Lord God Almighty. And He is our help. He is our refuge. This is what David knows. It's what we must know as we pray. As we go to God in prayer, we must go to Him as the Lord Almighty who is for us. It's exactly what Jesus teaches us when He teaches us to to pray. The, The prayer that we say each Sunday following the pastoral prayer begins, Our Father in Heaven. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. He is our Father, our our good, good Father. The Father who delights to, to give good gifts to His children. And He is enthroned in heaven. This is how we pray and this is what we must remember as we bring our cares and our concerns before Him. He is the Lord God Almighty. And He is for us. I don't know... Your situation. I don't, I don't know exactly in what ways the, the foundations are crumbling beneath, beneath your feet. 
But I know what it is to feel like you have nowhere to run. I know what it is to feel like you have nowhere to hide. And in those moments, we must with David say, how can you say to me, flee to the mountains? I take refuge in the Lord. We say that first because we know who the Lord is. But not only do we know who the Lord is, we also know what the Lord knows. This is the second thing that we see in this psalm. It's the second thing that that David shows us. Look at again at the end of verse 4 and then uh, verse 5. He says, His eyes see, His eyelids test the, the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So David reminds us that the Lord Sees. Now that word for, for see is not the, the normal word. This is not just sort of normally catching a glance of something, but it is a, it is a word that, that implies careful observation. The Lord has investigated. He has looked carefully. He, he knows the details of what is going on. And not only does He see it in detail, not only does He know all that is going on, but, but He tests it. He, he weighs it. He, he reaches a, a judgment. He, he determines whether it is right or, or whether it is wrong. It's, it's similar language that we see when uh, the, the story of, of Babel is recounted to us in the book of Genesis. Or the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember those stories where God comes down to see to investigate what is going on, that he might act accordingly. Why do we have those stories at the very beginning of the Bible? It's not that God's omniscience is in question. It's not that that God is up in heaven and he can't really see and and he needs to come and find out. God knows. He knows what's going on. But but the point of those stories is is to assure us that when God acts, When he acts in space and time, he is acting according to truth. He is acting according to what is actually going on. That his judgments are not capricious. That they are not whims. That they are not fits of anger. But that he acts according to truth. That's exactly what David is saying here. He's saying the Lord knows. He, He sees what's going on. He is carefully observed. And he weighs it. He examines it. He tests it. And he acts accordingly. You see, sometimes we can be fooled. We, we can be fooled. Someone can, can pull the wool over our eyes. They can make us believe something that is not true. They, they, can, they can sell us a bill of goods that aren't worth the paper they're written on. We can be fooled. Or sometimes we can just be confused. It's not that we're fooled. It's not that we're believing something false. But we just don't know what to believe. We just don't understand. We're, we're confused. We don't see what's, what's going on. But such is not the case with our Lord. He is never fooled. He is never confused. He sees and he tests. And this gives David great hope. He knows that God will judge according to truth. And again, we must share his his confidence. We must know that our God knows. But again, as I said, it's not just that he knows. It's that he knows and he acts accordingly. The God who is all-powerful. The God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. This is a God who is righteous, as David says. He is righteous. And he acts righteously. We, we see this in, in verses 5 through, through 7. First, we're, we're told that he hates the wicked. And I've 
spent quite a bit of time on that in the last few weeks. I don't really want to get back into it this, this morning. But it is a good thing that, that He hates the wicked. It is a good thing that God is against evil. It is our only hope, actually. God is a God who will not let evil stand. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. And that is our only hope of a, of a new heavens and a new earth where, where evil has, has been eradicated, where injustice has been overturned, where righteousness has been established because our God is a God who, who hates the wicked and He punishes the wicked accordingly. He rains on them fire and sulfur and sends a, a scorching wind to be their portion. Those who are wicked may prosper for a season, but then the wind blows and they are gone. Their their prosperity is, is fleeting. It will not last. It may last 70 years. It may last a lifetime. But at the end, they will be called to account because our God is righteous. And not only does He punish the wicked, but notice He loves the righteous. He is righteous, and as one who is righteous, he, he loves the righteous, and He pours out His blessing on them. And notice the blessing. Notice how it's phrased here. They shall see His face. They shall see the Lord. They shall stand in His presence. That is the blessing. We will behold the glory of God as a friend. We speak sometimes of the, the privilege of having the president's ear or of, of knowing someone of an importance, and, and that is what is being promised here. The righteous will behold the face of God. They will have his ear. They will stand in his presence. He will have their attention. It's, it's the blessing that we announce at the end of every worship service. May the Lord turn to you his face of favor. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May you see the Lord. May you know that He is for you. May you know that He loves you deeply. This is what is being promised. This is, this is what is promised to the righteous. And so we have a God who is with His people, who is all-powerful to, to work all things according to His will, who knows the details of everything that is going on, and has committed himself to judging righteously, to, to acting in righteousness, punishing the wicked and blessing the righteous. And it is this situation that, that is the foundation of David's confidence. It is, it is this reality that allows him to say, why would you say to me, flee? Why do I need to run? The foundations are not destroyed. My refuge stands. But of course this raises a question, doesn't it? raises a question in my mind at least. Why is this any source of hope for David? Why is knowing that David loves the righteous, or why is knowing that the Lord loves the righteous confidence for, for David? David was an adulterer. David was a, a murderer. How is, this, how is this comfort for him? How is this comfort for us? You, you know yourself. You know your own heart. You, you know your own sins. How is it any comfort to you to know that the Lord loves the righteous? How is it any comfort to you to know that, that, that He will work for the good of, of those who are righteous in His sight? It's a good question. It's the right question. It's the, it's the question that you ought to be asking 
you ought to be wondering, how is this good news for me? It doesn't sound like good news that God is for the righteous. It doesn't sound like good news that He is going to wipe out the wicked. That doesn't sound like gospel because that leaves me with no hope. And if that is where you are, then you are in exactly the right place. Because it is in that total loss of confidence in yourself that the gospel sings true hope. You see, what is the gospel? The gospel is the promise that God justifies not those who have earned it, not those who have established their own righteousness, but those who are ungodly, those who are justly deserving. In fact, if you want to join our church, one of the things you have to admit, one of the things you have to acknowledge and avow before God is that you are justly deserving of His wrath and without hope in yourself. But if you are willing to give up all boasting, if you are willing to give up all confidence in yourself, then God says, if you will trust in My Son and not in yourself, then you will receive a righteousness that is unassailable. A righteousness that has been accomplished by my own Son. A righteousness that will stand for all eternity. It's why Paul says that we are justified not by works, not by our own efforts, but we are justified through the works and efforts of another. We are justified on the ground of a righteousness that belongs to Him. And because we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now are the righteous. We gather here as the saints. We gather here as those who are holy in the sight of the holy, holy, holy God. Do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Do you know yourself to be righteous this morning? Even while you are yet a sinner, you are righteous in Christ if you have received and rested upon Him for your salvation. And if you are righteous in Christ, if you are reconciled to God, if you have peace with Him, then the promise stands. The Maker of heaven and earth, the transcendent God is with you. And He is your help. And He is your refuge. It may appear that the foundations are crumbling, but they are not. They are not. For He does not crumble. And He is your refuge. He is the rock of ages upon which you stand. And therefore, whatever trials come your way, whatever fire He asks you to travel through, whatever, whatever floods threaten to overwhelm you, You need not fear, for He is with you. The Lord God Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, is your help. Because He is our help through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do... We rejoice in this Gospel. We thank You for for the confidence that You give us. Not in ourselves, but in Your grace. That Father, even when the mountains crumble and fall into the sea, we need not fear, for You are with us. And You are our refuge. And You are our stronghold, both now and forevermore. Give us the grace to believe this Gospel. Give us the the grace to, to stand firm in this faith. 
Give us the grace to to run with endurance the race that You have marked out for us with our eyes fixed firmly on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.